you. You may be seated tonight. We're going to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at verse number 18, and you're just going to have to listen with me. And I'm going to read a little bit uh, danger of lengthy passage. It's seven scriptures. I'm going to read seven scriptures, but I'm going to preach a very simple message tonight. Very, very simple message. But I do want to read these scriptures. Um, well, really, I, we, need, we, need to, we need to start back at verse number 14. So we're actually going to read about 11 scriptures. But I want you to listen very closely. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus besides. I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made to no effect. So all of that to say that it doesn't matter who baptizes you. It matters what name you were baptized in. Paul said, I don't want you to get to thinking that because I baptized you, it's something that's more special. Uh, it's not some sort of celebrity baptism. It's all about Christ and his cross, the cross of Christ. Verse number 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe or the scholar? Where is the disputer or the arguer, the debater? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? world for that after in that in that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe and I want to I want to focus on verse number 18 it says for the preaching of the cross and so tonight I'm just going to preach about the cross I'm just going to preach about the cross. Because it strikes me that the preaching of the cross, Paul said, is foolishness to the world, but to them that are saved, it is the power of God. That struck me when I read that verse. I was preparing actually another message when I read that verse today, and it just hit me in my heart, that you need to know about the power of the cross. Everyone in this building needs to know about the power of the cross. What is the power of the cross? Because to them that are saved, to them that know him, to them who are clued in to what it can do, it is the power of God. Now to some Paul said it may be foolishness, but to those that are alive, to those that are saved, to those that need something from God, from those that are attuned with their hearts, it is the power of God. Why? Why is the cross 
powerful? Why is the cross powerful? And in what way is the cross powerful? When I was an English student at Butler University, I took a class uh, for my major that was literature of the 1890s. Um, it had a French name because we studied French and English literature. We didn't have to read it in French, thank goodness. I don't know French, but we read translations uh, of English and French literature from 1890 to 1899. Kind of obscure topic. Ended up being one of my favorite classes. Uh, that's where I learned to really like Sherlock Holmes. That's when Sherlock Holmes was written. I've dressed up uh, like Sherlock Holmes for, I think, until the fire destroyed my costume. I think I was going like six Halloween straight or fall parties or whatever at IBC and then on here. So that was an interesting class for me. But in that class, I read, or to be honest, I read part of, I didn't finish it, I read part of the book Dracula. Now, every, now everybody is very surprised at the Dracula because vampires are really popular when I was a teenager. They were very, very popular there. There's movies and books about vampire teenage love stories. You guys probably aren't into that, and that's a good thing because vampires are pretty wicked things. But what, what I was, what, so I was kind of steeped in, I'd never seen that stuff or much of it, but I'd heard about it. And so I was surprised when I started reading Dracula at just how Christian that book is. In the story, Dracula, the vampire, is very clearly the enemy, very clearly he is not the hero, he's not romantic, he's not beautiful, he's not handsome, he's not suave, he's actually kind of backwards, he's ugly, and he's just the quintessential monster. And have you ever heard of the stories about of how to uh, kind of push back vampires, They like the garlic tied around your neck or the wooden stake? Or, that comes from Dracula. It comes from this original novel written in the 1890s by an English author named Bram Stoker. But what I found interesting about that book was that nothing worked, really. No, the, the stakes didn't work. The garlic didn't work. Um, nothing worked to repel a vampire if he got a hold of you and he had this spell to entice people to come with him and he would kill them and then drain their blood. And so nothing would work except for one thing. The cross worked. The crucifix, that actual physical cross worked every time. And I was just so surprised that this story that has been mythologized and where the vampires are the good guys and romanticized, that it comes from a very conservative, traditional view that the only thing that really pushes back evil is the cross. Now, it was written in a society that was very traditional. And if you know anything about traditional religion, they put a lot of value on the crucifix on images of the cross. They, they believe that, and it, it was reflected right there in that book, that if you just simply showed the cross, or if you made the sign of the cross, have you ever seen anyone do that? They make the sign of the cross. I'm not mocking anyone in this play. I don't want you to think that, but I've seen people do that. I think, I think Catholics do it, maybe others but they make the sign of the cross to show how to signal 
that there's power in the cross because it, it speaks to, in our culture, the, the fact that we still, even though we're moving fast to a post-Christian culture, we still have value in the image of the cross. There was that famous photo of, um, and I think it still exists in real life, when the Twin Towers fell on September 11th and the piece of metal was in the shape of a cross, which is not hard to believe because that's how structures are built, one this way, one this way. But people in their pain and in their hurt took solace in the fact that they saw the cross in the midst of this complete disaster of loss of life and absolute evil in the world. They saw the, this symbol as a thing of hope. They think of hope. People wear the cross. They have uh, jewelry that is the cross. Um, it's more ornamental churches have statues massive of the cross. Why? Why? Because we know that the Bible says that there's power in the cross. But why? And what? kind of power can we expect to find? Should we all own a crucifix? Should we all have that and hold to it, show it to the evil of the world? Does it really work like I read in Dracula where you could shine it at an evil thing and it flee from you? Is that really how it works? Why? Why do people find solace in an image of death, and suffering. Before we answer those questions, I, I just want to kind of explain a little bit about what a cross is. The cross was not invented by Christians. It was invented by pagans. It was invented by a government that wanted to humiliate and wanted to execute people with the most amount of pain possible. The most amount of pain possible. That's why it's so interesting when the Bible says that Jesus was born in the fullness of time. He was born in a very small window of history where people were crucified. They were not crucified before his time, and they were not crucified very long after his time. There was a small window, really no other culture crucified except the Roman culture. And Jesus happened to be born into the time when crucifixion was the way of death. It was, a, it was an excruciating way of death. It was, a, it was a way that would suffocate you. you would, they would tie your arms and they would tie your legs to cross beams. This, this, that's where you get the shape of the cross. And as, when you hang there, your diaphragm cannot inflex to bring in air to your lungs, so you suffocate. But you can, with your strength, pull yourself up with your muscles and take a breath and then Exhale, go down, inhale, come up. Exhale, go down, inhale, come up. That's how you would live so long on the cross. And it's a human condition 
to want to live, even though you know you're going to die, even though you're humiliated. It's still that something inside of you that wants to live. So people would suffer for hours on the cross. They could not just allow themselves to die because something inside your psychology would force you to pull yourself up so that you can breathe, even though you know it's going to prolong your suffering and you're going to die in the end. Nobody walked off the cross. That's the kind of death that Jesus came born into the world just in time to catch that kind of death. But Jesus's was even more brutal, and we don't really know why his was so brutal, but they decided that instead of tying him to the cross, that they were going to nail him to the cross. So that would mean that every time that he would pull up to take a breath, it's more excruciating because he's not pulling against ropes tied to his arms and maybe getting a splinter or a rope burn, but he is pulling on wounds in his flesh that are ripping against a nail that has been driven in by the hammer of soldiers that are cruel and unfeeling. And he would sit there and he would suffer and he would bleed and he would die. But that what the, see how cruel this was is that they would give you water on the cross so that you could live longer to suffer more shame and more humiliation. They would let you stay there until you just could not do it anymore. You died from dehydration, exposure, and exhaustion. People would go days on the cross without dying. That's how cruel of a punishment it was. But they were more cruel to Jesus because when he asked for water, when the others got water, he did not get water put in the sponge raised to his mouth, but they put vinegar to it, which doesn't quench your thirst. It's bitter in your mouth. He didn't even get the, I don't even know if it was nice. It seemed to prolong your life. I don't know if it was cruel or not, but he didn't even get water. He got vinegar. That's what he, the treatment that he received. So Jesus is hanging there on the cross between the two thieves and the Jews who put him on the cross, who forced or pressured, politically pressured the Romans to have him crucified. They started saying, it's not lawful for you to leave these men on the cross over the weekend. They go ahead and need to, they need to die. So how they would speed up your death is that they would go by and break your legs so that the pain of pulling up would be so excruciating that you would hang there and suffocate. So they let them stay on 9 to 12 hours before they killed them, and that was actually more merciful. But when they got to Jesus, he had already died. The Bible says he gave up the ghost. He had already allowed himself, probably because his wounds were more severe. Of course, it was in the plan of God because the Old Testament says that he would die without a bone being broken. So they, when they came to break his legs, he was already dead. To test it, they stabbed him with a spear and it said blood and water ran out because once you die, there's this, I can't remember all the terms, but there's water that pools around your abdomen area. And so they knew that because there was blood and water that he was in fact dead. But that was the cruelty of the death of the cross. Why? Why did Jesus suffer the indignity and all the while he has no clothing on? Because they would strip you of your clothing to maximize the humiliation, to show your shame. Not only were you a criminal, you were humiliated, tortured. And Jesus was flogged 
to where his back was raw before that and a crown of thorns placed on his head, digging into his skull. This was not a nice moment. Why? Why would God, the creator of heaven and earth, subject himself to be born in the fullness of time? He waited thousands of years from the first prophecy that he would come to where he could come into a world that would kill him in such a way. He was not born into our day with lethal injection where you live about 30 seconds and then you're dead. He did not come in the day of firing squad where it's over like that or even by hanging by neck, which we think is inhumane, but is completely humane next to that where your neck is broken instantly and you die. No, he was not born into that world. He was not even born into a society that favored uh, drowning or stoning. Any of that would seem a picnic compared to the death that he died on the cross. Why? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he come to suffer and to die and to bleed? Why? That's a question in my mind. Why? Why? Now, I know that the tried answer is for us, for our sin. He died for us. He died for our sin. That's true. But why? He was God. He was God. He had the power to forgive sin, but yet he decided to pay the price anyway. He decided to satisfy the own debt that he inflicted upon himself. Why? Why? Why is there power in the cross? Because you are worth something. I was reading in Proverbs. It says that money that you get, that you do not work for, that you do not earn, it, it has no value to you. Things that you get without working for, they have no meaning to you. And really, the things in life that matter the most are things that are filled with meaning. That's really what separates us from the animals, from every other species that walks the earth, is we have the ability to be involved in things that matter. We have the ability to be involved in things that touch eternity. And so when Jesus came into this life, to suffer and to die for you. He was showing us how far he would go because you matter. He wasn't just going to give it to you. He was going to say, I'm going to show you exactly how much your sin costs so that you will understand the value of your forgiveness. You've got to understand that, that what you have done but all the different sin that has entered into this world, it costs something. And I'm not just going to wash it away so that you have no understanding or you have no ability to comprehend the grace that I have, but you can understand how much it cost for me to save you. And then by comparison, when I ask for your life, when I ask for your heart, when I ask for you to do something for me, that it's going to show you two things. That if I ask something, it's only in your best interest because I will stop at nothing to reach you. I will stop at nothing to redeem you. I will be, will be crucified in the worst possible way to reach you, to heal your heart, to satisfy the debt that you owe. And secondly, that anything that I ask 
pales in comparison to what I myself have already been willing to pay. That's what the cross teaches us, is that there is nothing that God can ask for that is too big because He was willing to go the ultimate sacrifice. Paul put it this way in the book of Romans that for a righteous man, few would dare to die. There's hardly a person on earth that a stranger would die for, even if they were a good person. Say, I appreciate that you're a good person, but I'm not giving my life for you. Sometimes that happens, sometimes, but very rarely. But, but then he compares that to Jesus. He said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you before you ever had a chance to respond to Him or not. He didn't care whether you would say no, and many have, but He died anyway. For God so loved the world. He died anyway, knowing that those would, He would come and He would be mocked and He would be spit on and they would write up on the, above the board sarcasm, King of the Jews. And He was King, not just of the Jews, but of the whole world, of the whole universe. And it was a joke, but it was real. They wrote king of the Jews above him as a joke, mocking him. They beat him in purple robes as a mockery that he was the king when he really was the king. He endured the indignity to show you how much you mean to him. To show you that anything that you go through, he's been through worse. And that he can redeem it. Anything, any suffering, any amount of abuse, anytime you've been mocked, anytime you've been put down, anytime that you have had those that are close to you betray you and point their finger in your face and yell at you and talk to you, he's been through worse. He's been rejected worse. He's been betrayed worse. So when the disciples were around him, when they came to arrest him, they scattered and they ran for their own life. They did not stay around to watch him crucify they were too afraid he was abandoned by everybody that he loved he's been through worse that's why there's power in the cross it's not in some golden crucifix that you can touch it's in a real experience that he came and he died for you so that you can have power so that you can have authority so that you can walk through any form of suffering any form of discouragement any form of put down any form of abuse and know I can make it through by the power of the cross now to those who are wise in this world it may seem like foolishness why would you worship a, a king that gets himself crucified this was only for the, the sinners. This was only for the thieves. This was only for the people that were defeated and humiliated. But see, they said to the world, this isn't going to look like much, but to those who are hungry for a new touch, for those that are hungry for a new power, for those that are hungry for healing, for those that are hungry for restoration, the power of the cross is the power of God. It's everything that God came to do is wrapped up in the, in the preaching of the cross. It's a real thing. It really happened. And it really has power. Because God can take care of any problem that you have. You can bring it to the foot of the cross. He really did die for you. He died to, to really pay the price of your sin. And those of you that have lived long enough, you understand that there is a price 
connected to sin. No doubt in here many of you have been sinned against. Not only have you committed sin, which we all have, but you have been sinned against. And when you are sinned against, you understand the power of sin better than if you just commit sin. Because if you commit sin, you want mercy. But if you're sinned against, that's when you want judgment. That's when you want justice. Then you understand, okay, hold on now. I want mercy for myself, but this costs something. You understand, if you've been sexually abused, you know that sin costs something. You know that there's a weight on it. If you've been physically abused, you know that there's a weight to sin. You know that it costs something. You know that people don't deserve just to get off. You know that it does damage. You know that it hurts. You know that it breaks through things. You know that there is a cost to sin because you have been sinned against. But let me tell you, you're not alone because there's been one that came before you that was sinned against. And he was perfect. And he was righteous. And he showed you that even after the death of the cross, that there is new life because the power of the cross is in the power of the resurrection. That three days later, he did not stay dead where they left him, but he was touched by the power of God raised to new life. Raised to new life because the power of of the cross is the hope that there is new life. Because He died, every situation, you can face it. You can walk through it. And you can know that there is new life at the end of that situation. That no matter how dark your day is right now, no matter how dark the moment is right now. So much happened when Jesus died on the cross. We forget about it. I forget about it on a daily basis. But when Jesus died, the moment that the Spirit left His body, the earth went black. Completely black. And there was an earthquake. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been some moments in my life that have felt about like that. Where everything was black in the middle of the day. Not physically, but in my heart. Everything was black in the middle of the day. And everything that I held dear was being shaken. There's going to be moments like that. Where everything is dark where everything is black, where you don't understand a thing that's going on and you are confused and your world is shaking. The power of the cross is that there's new life coming. There's new life coming. Because no matter how dark your situation, no matter how dark your night, no matter how deep your problems are, Jesus can take care of he can take care of it. He's been to the places you've been to. And he's telling you, I've purchased your redemption. Because not only does the cross redeem your sin, it redeems everyone that has sinned against you. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, 
He said, lay not this sin to their charge. Because the power of the cross, not only can your sin be washed away, but everyone that's ever sinned against you, that, that weight can be taken off your shoulders. That weight can be lifted off of your back. Your own sin, yes, but even other sin that has been, that has been laid on you unfairly can be lifted off in one moment with the power of the cross. As the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's why we sing songs about the blood. It sounds weird. It sounds strange if you didn't know what we were talking about. But we sing about it because of the cross. Because it was a bloody place. There was a preacher. His name was G.T. Haywood. He's from Indianapolis. He pastored a church in the 1920s in Indianapolis. The church is still there today. It was a biracial um, church in the 1920s that was unheard of. He was a member of the Assembly of God. But he got the revelation of the oneness of God and baptism in Jesus' name, and he left. Left a lot of money there. They, they kept all the rights to his songs because in addition to being a, a preacher, he was also a songwriter. And one of his most famous songs, that he, that he the story goes that he was going through so much trouble at his church and just different things that he was facing that he locked himself in his office to pray. And I don't remember how long he was there, but he, he began to write the words to this song. I wish I was a singer. I would sing it to you, but I'm going to spare you because I'm not a singer. But he said, I, I see a crimson stream of blood. And it flows from Calvary. And its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. Now that's weird. Unless you know the power of the cross. That's strange. That's grotesque almost. Unless you have been at the foot of the cross with burdens that you almost can't bear anymore. And you've looked up. Not in, a, not, in a, not in a physical way. Like at a crucifix or something. And I'm not trying to mock anybody that does that. But not, not in a way or, or made the sign of the cross. Because there's nothing really powerful in the shape. But in the idea that God would come and die Maybe it looks like for you weeping over the scriptures that describe his pain and his anguish and think, God, you died for me. You died for me. And when you're hurting and when you're broken and when you have been betrayed and when you have been lied to and when you have had people turn their back on you or maybe you've turned your back on God and you realize just the depth of your rebellion and your spirit when you've said, I've been there before, young people. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I've been there when I turned my back on God and I knew exactly what I was doing. 
And I look back on not on a, in, in pride on that moment, but I look back in awe of the mercy of God when I think about what he's done for me and then how many times I knowingly did wrong in his face. And that humbles me down back at the foot of the cross. It says, God, but you died for me. You died for me when I didn't deserve it. You died for me. You suffered that indignity for me because there's power in the cross. I told you my message was simple tonight. There's power in the cross. No matter where you are right now, no matter what burden you have brought into this place, I've come to tell you that there's power in the cross. And to those that aren't going to pay attention, it's foolishness. But to those who are saved, to those who need something from God, it's everything. It's everything purchased for you. It's peace purchased in the middle of a storm when you can't sleep at night. He purchased your peace. It's joy in the middle of sorrow when you think I cannot get through this change in my life. Things are not the way I thought they once were. And I cannot get through this. He purchased your joy on the cross. There's power in the cross. There's redemption in the cross. When you make your biggest mistake that you've ever made, and for some of you it may even lie in your future. I don't want to prophesy that over you, but I'm not naive. It may even lie in your future. And so on that day, I just hope you hear my voice to remind you. And better, I hope you hear God's voice to remind you I've already paid the price for that. There's room at the cross for you. You can bring that shame back to the cross no matter how many times you've come before, no matter how many times I've forgiven you before, there's still room at the cross. The blood still works. It still covers every sin. It still covers every hurt. It still covers every pain. It's inexhaustible. It's mercy that never runs out. It flows and it flows and it reaches the throne of God and it can sweep over you in any moment, in any place in your life. The blood still works because there's power in the cross. They could come help me on the music. I'm closing. Because I want to give you an opportunity tonight to come find a place to kneel, to stand, to pray before the cross. Because like they sang before, any place where your heart is open becomes holy ground. I do like certain places. There are certain places in my life that have memories connected to where God has touched me, and I like to go back there. And I sometimes when I'm when I'm home at my home, at back in Indiana when I'm with my parents, and I like to go back to the place where God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And it's just an old worn out piece of green carpet, but I like to still remember where I first came to the cross, where I first felt the forgiveness of my sin, where I first felt the nearness of His presence, when I first really understood 
in my heart, maybe not even so much in my mind because I was only nine years old, but in my heart, how much he loved me. How much he loved me. And I, I wish life could be easy for you. I really do. I wish life could be easy for me. But there's value in suffering. That's what the cross teaches us. That Jesus is not going to ask you to suffer before he suffered. He wasn't going to ask you to carry a weight before he carried it. Because he wants you to know that there's value in your cross. Because the power of the cross does not just stop at his cross. But Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Because he knew, looking down throughout history, he knew every person and what you would have to carry. He saw you, he looked down to 2020, and he saw what you would have to walk through because of the curse of sin. And he said, I know you've got a cross to bear. I know you've got things that you've got to work through, but I've carried it first. And I'm here to testify there's new life if you bring it to me. Because just as you carry that cross and you're carrying it, it's heavy. He said, I've already paid the price. Follow me. I'm going to show you the way to everlasting life. I'm going to show you that even in the darkness of the tomb that you think your life is buried in, there's new life. There's new hope. That one day, it's all going to be worth it all and you're going to look back and it's not going to be a cheap victory. It's not going to be cheap grace. It's not going to be something you're going to say, no, I know the cost of this because I've carried a cross right behind Him. I've seen the damage that can be done and I know the power of His resurrection. I know the power of the Holy Ghost and that's where a witness is born right there. Let me tell you about Jesus because my life's not perfect, but I was carrying something and He came and He found me and His blood wash me let me tell you about Jesus this wasn't free this wasn't cheap but he loved me he cared about me he died for me and I've carried my cross right after him because he loves me I know I can make don't you stand with me right now and I want to make this altar available to you I want to just open up this front I want to challenge you right now I, I know it's just a mental image and I don't want you to think that there's anything really. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus.